In today's episode, the local church is not the hope of the world. You heard that right. The way is how one should approach everything in life. Dave Chappelle records his response to critics of his new special, The Closer. Also, speaking of Chappelle, his new documentary, Untitled, is debuting in a city near you. Welcome to the Todd Hicksonball Experience. As you heard at the top of this recording, I said something rather controversial, rather crazy. The local church is not the hope of the world. Now, if you're listening to this and you're not a, a Christian person of the Christian faith, that might not strike you as weird. You're probably going, yeah, duh. <laughs> the Todd. Obviously. But if you are a Christian, I would hope that would hit you in a certain way. The title of this episode is Hope of the World. And while this whole episode isn't going to be about faith, I want you to understand some things that I'm thinking about and paying attention to that I think are actually a bigger deal than what we're making it. What do I mean when I say the local church is not the hope of the world? You see, that saying, the phrase, the local church is the hope of the world, teaching and living the truth of Jesus Christ, that some attribute that to Bill Hybels and um, Willow Creek up in Chicagoland area. I don't know where it comes from particularly. I don't really care. I've believed in that statement my entire career, and so I should shed some light on, on me a little bit. I've worked in churches for the last 10 years. I've worked in small churches. I've worked in big churches. I've worked in between. And I still believe that the local church is the hope of the world, just not the church, the way it's being done and presented and utilized, like right now, like like today. And so I don't want to just say that as a shock and awe statement and then and then just leave it there because I want to give you a little bit of history. And for those of you who who might not be familiar with this, this history, I, I want to bring you into that as well. I don't want to leave you, I don't want to leave you in the dark. Um, so as I was preparing for, for today's episode, uh, I felt the need to, to bring some of this to you. So in Acts chapter seven, right in the Bible, in the new Testament. So the second part of the Bible, there's this book and it's, it's 28 chapters long. And in the seventh chapter, we find an interesting story. You see, the story is around 
a young man named Stephen. Now, Stephen, spelled S-T-E-P-H-E-N, Stephen was an interesting character because he was a deacon in the early, early, early church, right? The church when, like, it was still just in Jerusalem. The church when Peter still was kind of king of the hill, like that church. And Stephen was a deacon, and, and that was because at one point the apostles, the 12, realized they couldn't do everything, right? And so they, they decided, hey, we should probably commission some others who we believe embody what a Christ follower, meaning a person who, who behaves and acts and, and does the things that we believe Jesus taught us to do. We believe that we should commission some of these folks so that they can do those things. That way we can focus on teaching and, and, and telling people about this guy named Jesus. And so this man named Stephen, this young man, was, was commissioned as a deacon in the early church. And he pretty quickly separated himself from everybody else. And Stephen was said to, the Bible actually says it, he, he was known as being a powerful worker of miracles and, and, and just powerful in his belief. His faith was big, right? His faith was big. And he was so bold that there was this one point when the Pharisees and the Sadducees got, got pretty ticked off at him. And they confront him at one point and he begins to talk to them and he, he actually gives a speech and his speech is, is this incredible explanation of, of the Jewish faith and, and weaves into it how the, I mean, it was undeniable that they, these Jewish people should, should look at Jesus and see Jesus as the Messiah meaning that the, the one that was promised that the coming one, this person that the, the Jews were, were looking forward to. <laughs> That's pretty bold teaching. And, and as you can imagine, uh, the Jews got ticked off and Stephen became known by another name, Stephen the martyr. You see, they stoned Stephen to death. And that was an event that kicked off. that had these ripple effects where, the Jews were so ticked off at the boldness of Stephen and what he said that they began to persecute the church. At the time, it was, it was Christianity wasn't known by Christianity. It was called the way, right? It was just called the way. And it was viewed as this sect, this, this other offshoot of Judaism. So it's like the Romans, they wouldn't have really differentiated much between Judaism and Christianity. They, they just looked at it like, you know, that's just, it's the same thing, Pharisees, Sadducees. It's, it's whatever. It's, it's another type or another way of believing in, in the Jewish God. And what the Jews were saying is absolutely not. These are blasphemers. These people are preaching something completely different. And so Stephen is stoned, sends out these ripple effects, and the church is persecuted. And we see this first great diaspora. And diaspora literally means to disperse or this dispersion. And we see this diaspora, or this dispersion to 
all of the Mediterranean world. And so all of a sudden you have these, these Jewish people who are Christ followers, right? They, they believe in Christianity, they believe that Jesus is the way, right? And they go all over the Mediterranean world because they're afraid of, of being killed. And they, they go everywhere. And you see this dispersion of Christianity and, and eventually you have, you know, Paul, the apostle Paul going around and he's a missionary and he's preaching and he already has some footholds in some of these places because of this dispersion. And this isn't the first time Emperor, uh, Emperor Nero um, in the 60s um, CE also persecutes the Christians. And then you see this with Emperor Claudius. You see this multiple, multiple times throughout the, the first few centuries of Christianity where there's great persecution and every time it happens, the church spreads out. You know what's interesting? The only times when Christianity doesn't spread and it doesn't like actually work <laughs> is when the church gets comfortable and they lose sight of the way. Now, you might be catching on what I'm hinting here, so I'll say it plainly. I believe that the church today is more comfortable than it's ever been. And when I say church, I mean the big C church, but I also mean many of our little C churches. You see, I just believe that, that Christians and churches are very, very comfortable. I had a friend recently who we were just chatting and he was telling me about how, you know, the pastor at his church that he works at was, was talking to the team and, and was giving this kind of this raw, raw message, right? This, this message of, of like, you know, you guys all have to pull in the same direction. You just have to believe more. You just believe more. And if you believe more, it's going to work. You know, all this, this COVID hangover, this COVID hangover will go away. If you just believe more, if you work harder, if you do better, if you. And when he was telling me that, I was just sitting there thinking, man. And not just to harp on this guy, but like in general, going, man, church leadership has really jacked this up. Who am I, by the way? I'm like, I don't know anything. Todd's an idiot. But like, as I'm listening to this, I'm going, wow, this is incredible. Like, this is really incredible stuff. There's this longing to cling to what's comfortable. What's comfortable is people coming to the church. But throughout history, we know that every time that the church begins to adopt this attitude of come to me, it's a pathway to failure. Like I said, the church is better whenever it's being persecuted, but it doesn't have to be persecuted. It, it just, it's a weird mentality. Let me explain a little bit about what I'm talking about. The church that I attend had a guest pastor a few weeks ago, and he was a missionary. And he was speaking, and he was speaking about the fastest growing parts of Christianity in the world. And if you know anything about Christianity, you would, and you study or you know, pay attention to mission stuff, you would know that that is right now in places like Iran, India, and Southeastern Asia. All places that don't sound like what in Western 
Christianity. We would think of being places that are hotbeds for Christianity, but they're the fastest growing places in the world. And it makes me have to examine why that is. You see, these are places where in different spots, Christianity is not legal. Or Christianity is very much the minority, and it is frowned upon to be called a Christ follower. And so it has me realizing that churches really do need to examine this. Now, I'm not saying that churches need to begin to be persecuted. I'm not saying we should go around with a persecution complex. I think that living in the United States and living in the freest government that's ever existed is an awesome thing. I'm not wanting tyranny. I'm not saying we should go back to having to do all sorts of crazy things just to be able to meet together and and be, be Christians. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I just believe that the local church right now is not the hope of the world because the local church has lost sight of what is important. Here's another controversial statement for you. I believe that the local church isn't the hope of the world right now because the local church has decided, and listen, listen to my heart and listen to what I'm saying when I say this, I believe that they have trusted more in the Bible than they have in the person of Jesus Christ. I'll say that again. I believe that the local church is not the hope of the world right now because they put more faith in the Bible and in knowing things, being able to tell you about faith and being able to explain to you Bible stories than they do in the person of Jesus Christ, who, if you're a Christ follower, Jesus is kind of the main reason for the season. He's kind of the whole deal here. You know, in Christianity, we believe that that Jesus Christ literally died on a cross and he did it as a sacrifice for the sin of the whole world. And that if when you believe in him and when you choose to to follow him, what literally happens is your sin, the the things in your life, the the stain, it, it goes away. And not only does it go away, but he renews you like you, you're regenerated and not literally like you, your body is new, but, but in a, in a spiritual sense, your, your spirit, your soul is renewed and revived. But I see a lot of Christians walking around today that are no different than they were before they began, became Christ followers. And that's not me casting condemnation. That's not me hating. That's not any of that. What I am saying and what I'm seeing is that right now we got a lot of Christians walking around like dead people. And I just believe that it's because right now we have an epidemic, we have a pandemic. That that pandemic isn't COVID-19. That pandemic is Christians have decided that it's more important to know things than it is to believe in things, than it is to actually have actions that back up the things that you believe. I'll give you an example. When was the last time that you, as a Christ follower, I'm, right now I'm just kind of talking to the Christians. When was the last time that you, as a Christ follower, were charitable? And I'm not talking about you gave a tithe, right, to the church. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not talking about that. When was the last time you, you were charitable towards somebody? When was the last time that you showed love for somebody that was a stranger, somebody who you, not a friend. (laughs) When was the last time you showed love towards an enemy? You see, Jesus even says this. He says, you know, I mean, of course, 
someone would lay down their life and die for a friend. For someone they love. That's not really a sacrifice. A sacrifice is to lay down your life and show love to somebody who you disagree with, who is your enemy. Someone who you believe is wrong. When was the last time that you showed true love to somebody who you disagree with, an enemy? And not condescending love either. Genuine love. When was the last time that you were careful about your words? When was the last time that you sought out the way of peace rather than the way of violence, the way of bullying, and the way of pushing through, I think is the word I'm, the phrase I'm looking for. Many, many people listening right now who are Christians, that's a rough one. Because the answer is we've gotten very caught up in certain ways of living and thinking. And this isn't a being a Republican and a Christian is a bad thing speech. I want us to think deeply. I'm okay politically with believing things on the left or the right because I don't believe as a Christ follower that we belong to this world. I believe our citizenship is in heaven, though I don't believe that means we should abdicate our responsibility. I simply believe that it holds us to a higher standard. And so right now, I believe that the local church is not the hope of the world because I think it's full of Christians that are walking around as dead people. I think that people have decided that there is an easy way to be a Christian, and that's to be conservative, that's to go to church on Sunday, and do some good things. Yeah, I, I know I probably drink a little bit too much, or yeah, I know I swear, or yeah, I know I do this, or yeah, I know I do that, but, but I'm a good person. And by the way, Jesus died for me. Because the Bible, Bible tells me so. Friends, if you are listening and you're not a Christian, I want to bring you back into the conversation. It's not an effective, it's not very effective if you're in part of this conversation and you're not a Christ follower, is it? It's not at all. Matter of fact, my friends, whenever I go and sit in Starbucks, and by the way, it shouldn't surprise any of you that I sit in Starbucks. Love that place. But when, they, when I sit with them and, and I talk to them, usually the conversation goes something like this, okay? I'll be sitting in Starbucks. There's usually one of, one of three different responses that, that I get when I tell them I've been a pastor for, for the last 10 years. The first one is they immediately like clean their self up, right? And they start talking, like they stop swearing. Well, you know, I go to this church and all of a sudden it's, it's bless you, pastor. The second thing that I'll, that I'll hear is, man, you know, you Christians, these are fun conversations, by the way, you Christian, you know, why can't you just leave women alone? You you don't leave, let women teach in your churches and you believe in abortion. Dang it. Or no, you don't believe in abortion. I'm sorry. And, and, and like, you just won't leave women alone. And by the way, you're such, such bigots. Like you, you hate gay people. 
You hate LGBTQ, like that whole community. You just hate them. Like you're just bigots. Again, these are actually, I, I enjoy those conversations because those that's where, I mean, that's, it's fun. That's whenever we get to actually talk about something. But it's this third one that I'm kind of addressing, and it's this. And this is the one that, that actually I'm not concerned about. I'm most interested in having. It's the conversation when it goes something like this. Oh, yeah. You're Christian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What church you go to? Oh, cool. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's cool. Like, you believe what you believe. I believe what I believe. Do you know what they're actually saying when they say that? I realized this early on in my career. What they're actually saying when they say that is that, eh, Christian, your message isn't the best message. Matter of fact, it's not even really that relevant to my life. There's other things that are more relevant to my life. And it isn't because I'm sinful or wrong or anything. It's because your message looks a lot like all of the other messages in the world. If you're a Christ follower, that's just not what we're called to. Our message is more powerful than that. It's one of love. It's one of hope. It's one that saves. It's regenerative. Regenerative? Did I say that word right? I hope I said that word right. It's one that brings life. Man. Right now, I think that the church has a pandemic going on inside of it. They have an epidemic of trusting in the Bible more than they trust in Jesus, of trusting in ritual and rite and passage in the things that they've always done for following Jesus. I think one of the great sins of this time one day will be called out by Jesus. And I think it, what it will be is apathy, but I also think that it will be this. I think we blame a lot of things both in a positive way and a negative way on Jesus. Here's what I mean. Oh, God's calling me. You know, God's just the vision that I have. Jesus didn't tell you nothing. (laughs) That's all you, fam. Wake up, church. Wake up. You're not the hope of the world right now. Jesus is the hope of the world. His message is the hope of the world. But right now, the local church, the way a lot of these places are are behaving and acting, local church is not the hope of the world. And I say that lovingly, but I also say that as a wake-up call. You have to understand that. All right. Garrett, kick us off. Let's get into today's episode. My monologue is over. Hope you haven't tuned me out yet. I know that was a heavy segment that that I was just in. Um, 
But I wanted to talk with you about a couple of other things that have been on my mind and on my heart. So I, I, I've been talking a little bit about how I've been reading about the samurai in their culture. And I've been reading a bunch of history books and I've been reading a bunch of, of novels and, and all sorts of stories and, and original writings by some of the, the craziest and most awesomest samurai of all time, right? And I've been reading in this book called The Five, The Book of the Five Rings. And it's by this incredible samurai named Musashi who lived during the 16th and 17th centuries. And Musashi is widely regarded as one of the greatest swordsmen that has ever lived, not just in Japan, on planet Earth, okay? He's viewed as the Leonardo da Vinci of Japan. The dude was a calligraphy artist. He was an artist. He was a monk who was a very well-learned person. And he was also like, this total hardcore, like badass swords guy. He was a martial artist. He was incredible. And I've been reading through his story. And then I, I stumbled onto this book called The Book of the Five Rings, which is actually his writings. It's a collection of his writings. And I want to boil it down to this. And it's funny that I was just talking about the way in terms of Christianity, because he also has this, this phrase he uses called the way. And what he says is, Musashi says this, he believes that how one should approach everything in life is through this thing he calls the way. And what, what he's really saying is, is whatever you do, do it to the best of your ability. And so we see Musashi as a 13-year-old, right? As a 13-year-old. He has a fascinating story. As a 13-year-old, he has his first duel. And a duel was not like, Let's punch each other like a UFC fight. And then like we both go home. A duel was actually to the death. So as a 13-year-old, he gets into this duel and he kills a man. And to kill them, you have to, to like win the duel, you have to actually like cut their head off and like present their head. It's crazy. And but between the ages of 13 and 30, he has over 60 of these one-on-one -on -one duels with some of the greatest swordsmen in Japan, in all of Japan. And he wins every one of them. In the meantime, he creates martial arts schools and he goes around and he teaches and he becomes incredibly influential. Today in Japan, he is one of the icons. Think Bruce Springsteen, all right? Think, think the who, think... ACDC, think whatever. John Wayne, an icon in Japanese culture. There have been movies and books and anime and all sorts of things made about Musashi. But the thing I find most fascinating about him is how this 13-year-old boy becomes a killer and becomes one of the greatest in the world at something, a very particular skill set. He grows up and later in life, he becomes a monk and he studies and, and he's into looking at life through a philosophical lens. And over and over and over again, he applies this idea of the way, the path, the way to his life. And it helps me gain clarity 
you know, right now I'm in the middle of several big projects that are coming in the next year. And I, I get discouraged at times and, and I begin to, to doubt myself and, and begin to, to question things. And over and over and over again, I, I look to Musashi. I look to people like Musashi. I look to Jesus. I look to the Apostle Paul. I look to these people who had this idea of doing things you do, whatever it is you do. If you're an accountant, if you're a mathematician, whatever you do, wherever you are, whatever station you hold in life, doing it to the very best, doing it to the very best of your ability. The book is called The Book of the Five Rings. It's a great book. I'm going to link it in the show notes. But I'm thinking a lot about the way, thinking a lot about doing things that I do to the very best of my ability. What that means for me, what that means for my wife, what that means for my future children, what that means for me as a Christ follower, as a friend, as a son, as a brother. It's interesting. Dave Chappelle, I talked last week about his, two weeks ago, yeah, two weeks ago, talked about his new special called The Closer. Woo, boy. Dave has stepped in it. Dave has stepped, he stepped in it. You see, if you don't know what's going on, first off, you're living under a rock. But also, like, my mom wouldn't know, so I'll explain. My mom does kind of live under a rock, though. Love you, Patty. Dave Chappelle is special called The Closer. He addresses a lot of things going on in culture today. He takes on this idea of cancel culture. And in his special, he addresses things towards the LGBTQ community. And particularly, he talks about uh, the trans community. And he says a lot of, of things that are deemed inflammatory. I won't repeat them. I will let you go and watch the Netflix special called The Closer yourself. But uh, Netflix is where this special is. And if you've been following that saga, the president, Ted Sarandos, I think it's, I think it's how you say his name. He, uh, he's the president and CEO of Netflix. And Basically, him and Chappelle are the only ones seemingly on the same side. Everybody else, all the employees at Netflix are all ticked off about the special. And as a matter of fact, on October, I think it was 20th, there was actually a staged, there was a walkout. Um, and all sorts of things have been happening. The employees are just ticked off that the special is being allowed. They're calling it hate speech. They're calling it inciting violence. Yada, yada, yada. All, all of this stuff. All, all of these things. So this has been going on, and, and Dave's been relatively quiet, but over this past week, Dave responded. So he was in Nashville with Joe Rogan and some others, and they were doing, uh, they're in the middle of a tour. And Dave's set, he sits down, and he just like, he goes crazy. And so he says a couple of things that I, I think are incredibly interesting. First thing is, he actually refutes this idea. So one of the critiques was that employees at Netflix had invited him to come and have a conversation and talk to him, or talk to them, to hear more about their side of things and to understand the pain that he had caused them. 
And Dave Chappelle, first off, just ref- like just straight up says that never happened. Like that that did not happen. Nobody called me. Nobody said anything to me. And then he actually goes further and says, I'd be, I would be glad to talk to them. But I want you to understand that you're not going to bully me into coming and talking to you. You're not going to shame me into coming and talking to you. I'm not at your beck and call. If you want to talk to me, it will be at a place that I choose. It will be at a place that I deem safe. You're not going to get me to come to corporate offices because as a matter of fact, I'm not, you know, the only thing that seems to have changed is I'm not allowed to go to the office. Y'all are fine. Chappelle goes on. And he ends this tirade by saying, am I canceled or not? And I think when he says that, the reason for me even sharing the story is I, I think it touches on something that a lot of us right now are, are kind of foregoing. We're not actually understanding this, this cancel culture thing. And I hear about this all the time. Oh, Todd, cancel culture. Yeah. Cancel culture is also something that's man-made and a figment of your, imag- of your imagination. And here's what I mean. Dave Chappelle has a documentary also. He filmed it summer 2020. He did a series of, of shows where he was in his neighbor's cornfield. He brought some of the greatest comedians like in the world. And they did these shows and he documented the whole thing. And before this whole controversy with the closer, he actually was invited to come to all sorts of film festivals and indie, it's all this stuff. Now all of a sudden they, uh, they don't want anything to do with him and they won't let his documentary play. And so Dave goes, that's cool. This documentary called Untitled. I really want you to see it. I think there's value to it. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to show it in 10 cities across the United States. You guys get to determine whether or not, like, I'm canceled or not. And I think it's important for us to understand this. Cancel culture, canceling people, canceling people isn't the way do this. Because the fact of the matter is people are already now figuring out how to get around cancel culture. By the way, Trump showed us the way. Whether you love the man or hate the man, he showed us how to do it. You just literally don't care. You just don't care about it. Now, as saying, oh, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be held accountable. Of course not. We should be held accountable. There are certain things that need to be held accountable for. However, the way that you hold people accountable isn't by not allowing them to speak. You see, Liberty and freedom dies in silence. I believe that. The way that you beat bad ideas is with better ideas. That's how you beat it. You beat bad ideas with better ideas. The reason that the Nazis were able to take over as effectively as they did is because People were silenced. Propaganda was put out and there was no forum to be able to rebut what was happening. There was no ability to have a rebuttal. They silenced people. 
Same thing in the Soviet Union. Same thing in Red China now, today. Look at North Korea. Look at Venezuela. All of these places. Cuba, by the way. All of these places. The reason that they don't, that they don't have freedom is because they're silenced. People don't know how to speak. They don't have freedom of speech there. The best way to beat bad ideas is simply with better ideas. And so I would love to see a conversation moderated by Joe Rogan where Dave Chappelle talks with a trans activist or somebody who is on the other side and let's have a conversation. By the way, also, I also want to say this. If your problem is that he's he's being a bigot in, in all these things and he's hating on, on the trans community, you clearly didn't watch the entire special. Because actually, it's a, it's a great commentary. It's a great commentary on the experience of a black, a black man. Not that a, a white person could have said these things and gotten away with it. It's not what I'm trying to communicate either. But his whole point, if you watch the entire special, it's exactly what's playing out. It's exactly what's playing out. You see, it, one of his big things are right now, the most privileged person in America is a liberal white person because they're just allowed to be angry and they can claim that they're an ally or they can claim that they're whatever. And instantaneously, just you're supposed to agree with them, do whatever they say. Watch his special. You don't have to agree with it. You don't have to think he's funny. I want you to watch his special. I want you to, to genuinely think about what he's saying. I want you to watch his response as well. Loudoun County, these are some things I'm paying attention to. Loudoun County School District in Virginia. I don't know how many of you have been following the story, but briefly. Um, so over the... in spring, April, May, sometime in there, Loudoun County school districts um, were looking at a proposal with uh, transgender bathrooms. And the proposal was passed, and shortly after, a transgender girl went into a restroom and molested a biological female who was in the restroom, she, whatever. And the girl who was assaulted, her father showed up a few weeks later at a school board meeting where some of the stuff was being finalized. And upon trying to speak out against it, he was actually arrested. And there's been this dirty cover-up that's been taking place. And you can look all this up um, and find out more. I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes. But... Uh, there's a new development. So the Loudoun County schools, the high schoolers across the district have staged a walkout this past week. It was on Tuesday. They walked out in protest of how the school district has handled this. Now, there have been resignations on the school board. There, there, there's a lot of bad stuff that's coming uh, for the Loudoun County school situation. But, man, I've been paying attention to this, and what I'm realizing more and more is that it doesn't matter if you're on the right or the left. 
you're in a position of power and you think that you're right, the scary part is that sometimes you're willing to do whatever it takes to be proven right. Man, that, when there's no checks and balances, that is when we get into problems. Again, it goes back to this idea. We don't need to beat ideas by silencing other ideas. You beat ideas by having better ideas. Have better ideas. Have better ideas. When we silence people, when we try to cover things up, it's not accountability. It's not being morally right. You're not morally right. Have better ideas. Just have better ideas. Speaking of injustice, uh, I came across this story and I find it fascinating. Princess, I think her name is pronounced Mako. It's M-A-K-O. Princess Mako of Japan. Okay, she's part of the royal family. Her, her parents are the crown prince and crown princess currently of Japan. She married a commoner. <laughs> oh, this week she married a commoner and was actually kicked out of the royal family. She was kicked out of the royal family. Like, we all pay attention to like the royals from the UK, but this is interesting. So she was kicked out of the royal family because there's a law in Japan where you can't have two surnames. When you, when you get married, you have to take the surname of, and I might be jacking this all up, but you have to take the surname of the husband. And when you do that, that's kind of the status that you gain. I think I might be messing that up. Please correct me if I am. But she got kicked out of the royal family. And it's so bad that she wasn't willing to answer any questions. She wasn't willing. She walked out of the palace today. Or was it today? I don't know. It was, it was there yesterday. And actually wouldn't answer questions. And it's said now that... Um, She's moving to New York. And a quote from a person living in the palace was that they hoped, they hoped that the people in the U.S. would be more receptive of her and her decisions. And man, as I'm reading it, I'm just going, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. It's not just in the West, folks. It's not just in the West. There is, there is bad ideas everywhere. Not the royal thing, but like, Acceptance and understanding people. Like, have better ideas. It's silly to kick her out of the royal family. I understand the rules. I understand the customs. I understand all of that. Not trying to be insensitive to those things. <laughs> Just have better ideas. Wow. And then Alec Baldwin. Oh my gosh, what a sad story this is. If you haven't heard yet, um, Alec Baldwin on the set of the film Rust was handed a prop gun during a rehearsal and uh, while rehearsing, shot one of the, cinema, the cinematographers and she died. Her name was Helena or Helena Hutchins. And uh, also, it injured, this, the, the discharged weapon injured Joel Souza, who's the director of the film. But 
that's kind of been out there for a little bit, this, that, that story. What came new that I was reading was uh, there have been some investigations and stuff into um, the film in general. And there's a lot of dirty stuff going on. So at one point, uh, the camera operators, like the people like operating the cameras, they actually walked off the set, not during this rehearsal, but at one point during the filming process because of the p- terrible working conditions. They're filming in New Mexico. They walked off the set, and I don't know what that means, but it says they walked off the set due to filming conditions. The person who was part of the prop like situation, there was a person who was linked to the props and the, and the care and maintenance of set who has been let go before from a 2019 film in which people were injured using weapons on that film as well. Nobody died, but they were injured. That person was let go. There's all sorts of just dirtiness happening behind the scenes with this film. And it led me again back to this film, or back to, not this film, but back to this idea of better ideas, transparency. You see, when you believe that your idea is the only way, you go forward with having shady and, and, and not as good people surrounding you. Because, man, you get to a point where your idea has to be right. So you're willing to do anything, anything. Push it across the finish line, including work with subpar people. Man, I'm praying for... I hope I'm saying her name right. Alina, praying for her family. What a terrible story. Transparency, ideas, let the better ones win. Or do shady things like this. All right, when we get back, uh, we're going to do things that I have been Googling over the weekend. And then we're going to wrap up today's episode of the Todd Ball Experience. We'll be back. Well, things I've been Googling. Well, I had an interesting weekend. Here are the three things that I've Googled this weekend that, I mean, my goodness. My goodness. All right. Thing... Uh, um, the first thing <laughs> I Googled, uh, I'm going to get arrested. I Googled bank robberies. Like, <laughs> so over the weekend I was watching this show and, and there was a bank robbery that happened, whatever. And it made me think like, I wonder how many actual bank robberies still happen in the United States. And what I saw was it's not bank robberies the way that we think of them. Like you go into a bank and you hold the place up. What it actually is now is it's just like check fraud and credit card fraud. Like that is like this big, this big thing. And so like, it's actually really rampant. It says that one in every 10 Americans will experience in 2022, one in every 10, that's a lot, will experience some sort of fraud involving your money. Watch out, folks. That ain't good. I also, I also was watching an episode. Have you ever seen the show White Collar? Uh, there's an episode I was watching where Mozzie, who's one of the one of the 
<laughs> secondary, more secondary characters in the show. He, he he was he he was listening to as like sound a sound machine it's like sleep. He was listening to the mating calls of whales, and so I was googling mating calls of whales. Like I'm telling you guys, if you saw my Google search history, like you think I was insane. But I learned something interesting about whales and like mating calls with whales. Because after I saw that, I was like, I had to ask myself this question: Can you? Can whales hear underwater? And it turns out they actually, it's not hearing like what we would think of. It's actually just the, the, the vibrations, right? It's the vibrations. And the answer is kind of. It's the vibrations that they, they can sense and feel in the water. So mating calls of whales. Very fascinating. Finally. Finally. Googled, how does Amazon... Why is it that Amazon is the only company that's allowed to like have their own delivery service, basically? And what I read was, uh, they're not. Anybody can. It's just they're Amazon and they're creepy. There was a whole bunch of legal things in there, too, that I didn't quite understand. But it was a fascinating question. I thought it was worth asking. So here is our close for the day. And it's, it's this, it's my bad take of the week. It's my bad take of the week. All right. My bad take of the week is this. TikTok, TikTok was brought before Congress this week. And they're being grilled over whether or not they are passing off information about Americans to the Chinese government. And TikTok says that they've actually been doing a lot of work to make sure that the Chinese government is not able to get information on particularly the Americans, the Americans. And my take is, is this, who do you trust more? Who do you trust more? Taco Bell to not chop up horses and put plastic in your taco meat or whoever that person was for TikTok that was telling that bull hockey to Congress. Love y'all. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Todd Hicksonball experience. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a rating and write a Review if you're listening to the podcast or if you're watching us on YouTube, go ahead and hit the subscribe button and follow us there. That way you'll never miss another episode. Love y'all. Until next time, deuces, y'all.